y'all, Helen here. Welcome to yet another beautiful episode of The Eater Upsell, the podcast where I and my co-host Greg talk with super cool people in the food world. In fact, today we are talking with one of the superest, ultra coolest people in the food world, Preeti Mystery, the chef of Juhu Beach Club in Oakland, California, who is just, man, she's so cool. And you will hear how much I totally fangirl out over her when you get to the interview portion of this episode. But first, two really important things. Important thing number one, if you love the Eater Upsell as much as we do, and I know that you do, take a hot second, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, and if you want to, leave a comment saying how much you love me and Greg. Important thing number two, Greg. What's that, Helen? I have a really um, complicated theory about a food or drink product. What is the theory and what is the product? Okay, the product is seltzer. Uh-huh. Currently the hippest beverage there is. It's pretty hip. I, I agree. So seltzer is like taking the world by storm right now. It is the coolest, hottest beverage. And the deal with seltzer is that it comes in all sorts of flavors. And whether you are like a LaCroix partisan or you're into polar or you're into vintage or you're buying some weird like fancy Italian seltzer brand, they're all kind of competing to have the weirdest, edgiest, most interesting fruit flavors. But here is a truth bomb that I need to drop, which is a lot of those fruit flavors are absolutely disgusting. Oh, yes. I'm, I, I love the subject. Um, and let me just preface this by saying that I only, my only kind of um, context here is I loved all the clearly Canadian beverages when they were available not in the 90s. Seltzers. No? Not seltzers. No, those were sodas that did not have color added to them. Clearly, oh, Canadian so they were just, had sugar or aspartame. They were just clear sodas like uh, Crystal Pepsi, basically. Yes, they were like fruity Crystal Pepsis. Well, then I'll say that the only sort of seltzer I've had is one flavor of LaCroix. Which um, flavor? The Pomplamousse, however they're called. Pomplamousse, yeah, yeah. The grapefruit. Which, and what do you think? That's great. Um, the, my favorite... Uh, product like this is the Perrier does uh has long for a long time done uh grapefruit flavored Perrier it's kind of hard yeah. to find yeah it's re- very refreshing so this plays directly into my theory about these seltzers which is that a lot of these flavors are absolutely disgusting and a lot of these flavors are really really good like like grapefruit seltzer is fantastic like lime seltzer is really good but something like raspberry seltzer or cherry seltzer or god forbid that horrible peach pear LaCroix are truly passionately repulsive beverages. And I think that there is a very, very clear line. I think that if you sat down and you made a list of all seltzers and you put them either into a good category or a gross category, you would realize that all of the seltzers that are in the gross category are seltzers that rely like their original fruits, the fruits that they are echoing, mm-hmm. are fruits whose pleasure and whose mouthfeel and who like the experience of eating the actual fruit mm-hmm. relies on something rich and round and maybe even a little kind of creamy or fatty feeling. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about like eating a ripe peach, that's like a rich experience. It is a rich fruit. And that doesn't translate to what is basically water with acidic bubbles in it. Right. You maybe want something that is high in acid and not something, as, as you say, that that's kind of, 
you know, rich and especially fruity there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think like, you know, if you if, if I sat like a glass of grapefruit seltzer down in front of you, that could plausibly like in your brain work in the same space as this is a seltzer that has actual grapefruit in it. But if I was like, here's some peach pear seltzer and I'd made it with actual peach juice or actual pear juice, it would have a totally different, like richer, milkier feeling in your mouth. And so you wind up having this crazy cognitive dissonance where the smells, like the aromas of these seltzers, especially for something like LaCroix, where they use like, you know, their like whole hanging their hat on all natural, like, okay, this is the actual smell of peach and pear, but the feel is completely wrong. It's like gastronomic uncanny valley and our bodies reject it. Like, do you think that this is something that you taste? Um... Or have you heard from other people that like, uh, yeah, like most of those LaCroix flavors are pretty bunk slash why do so many of them exist? And like, why is there like a wall of them at Whole Foods? I mean, I think there have definitely been a lot of people on the Internet who have ranked the flavors of LaCroix. Mm-hmm. And I would be shocked. I would be shocked to hear that anybody had put one of the richer flavors at top. In fact, one of the most polarizing flavors of LaCroix is coconut. Yes. And from like. For sheer balls, I really admire that this exists because coconut is, by definition, just like a round, fatty, rich flavor. And if you put a cup, like a a can of coconut LaCroix down in front of someone who does not know what they're expecting, they are going to just think that you are handing them a glass of sunblock mixed with sparkling water and they're going to spit it the fuck out. (laughs) That's true. But... And in, in I think like the same way that people teach themselves to love sort of funky, weird flavors, like the way you can learn to love dry aged beef or you can learn to love truffles or you can learn to love oysters. People learn to love the sort of icky, good, high, low, weird, right, uncanny valley, so wrong that it's right kind of feeling of coconut LaCroix. It reminds me of uh, like banana flavored candy or something, something that totally is not in any way like the thing it's supposed to be, but it is its own singular sensation. You know, it's it's like a chorus line. Yes. It's one singular sensation. And now on the Eater Upsell, Chef Preeti Mystery. Oh, I just always wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, since I was a kid, it was like, you know, the 80s with the like handy cam, camcorder, my parents' vacations, all that stuff. Um, and then like I fell in love with Spike Lee movies. And What was your favorite? I mean, do the right thing. I can pretty much like you do not want to watch that movie with me. Will you just like I know every quote line. along with yeah. every single line? Yeah. And then I mean, you do want to watch it with me because we will get pizza uh-huh. at some point. <laughs> I mean, you can't not watch that movie without with without pizza. It's like, you know. How often do you watch it? You know, I used to watch it, like, when I was younger, like, I don't know, once a week. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I worked in a video store. I was, like, that kid. You're Go home with, like, person. six movies and just stay up until four in the morning. Okay, so Spike Lee was one of your favorites. <laughs> okay, but say that again. Wait, no, you're Wait, the you coolest person. you just said that person. I'm the coolest person. You're the coolest person. You Let's worked... just talk about that some more. <laughs> you worked in a video store. Like, that oh was Oh, my God. You know what was the most really amazing cool. part of working in the video store? It was, like, an independent video store in um, Ann Arbor. Um, which also then was known for the porn section because it was like l- liberal. Was right. it like a little sectioned off area, the porn oh, yeah, section? Yeah, yeah. Was, it was it behind like a, hot... a beaded yeah. curtain? It was behind a curtain. I think it was like satin. Um, but the, the best part about it fabrics, was right? the uniform was jeans, a white button down shirt and a tie. And I was 19. And the idea of getting to wear a tie and go pick out ties and like I had an excuse and a reason to do that was so exciting to me. That's really cool. Yeah. Were you out then? Yeah. Yeah. But I'd been out for like a year and a half. So it was, you know, I think it's still, still sort of like finding your identity. So 
so good vibes at the movie store. How long did that? Uh, how long did that job last? Oh, I got fired. Really? <laughs> you are so cool. <laughs> For, for watching Do the Right Thing too many times, huh? Yeah, I got fired because they thought I was stealing because I would check out like six, seven movies a night. And they thought I was like giving them to my friends and like giving discounts to all my friends and like or like giving people movies, renting movies to people and pocketing the money. Oh. And I was like, no, I'm just a nerd. Like, I'm going to go home and watch all these Kurosawa movies. Like, seriously. That seems so unfair. I know. Like, that should make you the ideal video store employee because you knew the inventory and, yeah. like, you could go full, like, Empire Records on yeah. the experience. You would think so. You would and think yet. so. How but, was you know. uh, how was Ann Arbor in general for you at that age? Was it someplace you liked or some? Were you like, I got to get out of here? Or? I had to get out of Ohio. So I went to Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor is really cool. Yeah. I really like that place. Yeah. Well, and that's where I met my wife. So child bride, 20 plus years now. Wow, really? <laughs> that's awesome. And I get to make that joke because I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we should probably introduce you officially into the podcast since I think yeah. we're recording for real. Um, Greg and I are talking with Pretty Mystery. Hello. Hi. The chef proprietor of the Juhu Beach Club. I know you from Twitter. You, you know me from Twitter. That makes me feel so awesome. You have an awesome Twitter Now account. I actually feel cool. <laughs> I feel like totally cool. It's the coolest way to know someone is Twitter. I it's think so. It's not nerdy at all, but welcome to the Eater Upsell. Thank you. We're super Thanks excited for having to me. have you here. So where were we? We're in Ann Arbor and we had hit Ohio and we've hit London and you're in the Bay Area mm -hmm. now. So where else have you lived? I think that's it. Oh, San Francisco and then now Oakland. I don't know if that counts. I think they're, they're materially pretty, pretty, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say most of us would agree. Your T-shirt is a very cool pro-Oakland T-shirt. It says Oakland Hustlin'. It's so like Hustlin' and apostrophe. There's yeah. no G. It's, uh, it's kind of my entire uniform is like Oakland T-shirts and skinny jeans. I love it. I, I, I rep Oakland pretty hard. Yeah. So, But my wife did tell me that I was not allowed to bring my Raiders or A's flap rim oh, hat. Why? You know. I don't know. There's some some point where like it's sort of like when I was here for the Cherry Bomb conference, everyone was like, yeah, no hoodies. Really? Like, you know, New York, no hoodies. Do you Pe go to people Oakland, don't do that. Do you go to Raiders and A's games? Yeah. 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 Oakland Coliseum. There's nothing like it. Yeah. I've, I've only been to one Raiders game and it was really overwhelming for me. Um, people get really. Into yeah, it's it. crazy. It's really crazy. I, I have to admit, I loved it. The amount of masculine, intense energy was a little frightening. Word, yeah. Guy Fieri is a Raiders Nation guy, as I recall. Speaking yeah. of masculine intense energy, yeah, <laughs> just bathe in his testosterone. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it just. Do you think drips. maybe is it possible that him and Paula Dean are the same person? Okay, so I have thought about this before. And I've never seen them in the same place at the same time. Well, I, I think that, that we're unfairly profiling them because they have the same hair color and body type. Right. Mm. Right. I actually really love Guy Fieri. I have to be honest. I love him. Why? Like I deeply truly unironically love him. I think that he is fascinating and hilarious. I think diners, drives and drive diners, drive-ins and dives besides being very difficult to say out loud mm -hmm. is one of the most important documents of American food over mm. the last 10 or 15 years. Mm. And in many respects has done more than almost anything else. Like, and you think about like what, what we like Greg and I, and also you, and like what all of us sort of in the like new era of post big food food culture right. are trying to do is like say like don't go to Denny's don't go to IHOP go to the local place you right. know like bring back like authenticity and bring back personal food and bring back communities and identities like that's what diners drive-ins and dives is about he doesn't go to chain restaurants and he elevates 
family-owned small businesses. I can appreciate that for sure. Um, you know, and I mean, I feel like there's also the fact that he, you know, <laughs> let's dissect Guy Fieri. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the Guy Fieri show. Let's look at the let's look at the positive sides. <laughs> I, I think I mean I, I mean I do appreciate that it's like a lot of these like mom and pop places and all of that. Although I do know. That he does have an issue with mom and mom shops and pop and pop shops. And so that's where I kind of am like, yeah, oh, but you're really? also kind of a dick. Uh, you know? I didn't so, know that. Okay. I'll, I mean, that's what I've heard. I've heard that he okay. gets, you know, I've heard that his, he gets upset supposedly if his producers don't let him know that the proprietors are oh, queers. Really? That's really interesting. And I was I mean, like, oh, really? You're from the Bay Area. Like, what's wrong yeah. with you? Like, just be that crazy guy and we can make fun of your flame shirts and stuff, but we could just appreciate you. So... Okay, so good to go back to the <laughs> filmmaking know. thing. I mean, anyway, we could spend, we could spend like, this whole hour. Did you guys hour. have that as a bullet point? Like, okay, yeah. we got to talk to Preeti about Guy Fieri. No, I, I just, I think about him all the time. Yeah. He's always on my mind. You just wake wow. up. I just wake up in the morning mm-hmm. and I'm just like, sunglasses on the back of my head. Mm. So to get back to the filmmaking thing. So you were, you know, you were fired from the video store yeah. in Ann Arbor. And then my did, parents are going to love that when they hear this. Do they not know? <laughs> no, I have no idea. If, I mean, I suppose like, I told them. Yeah, I quit. I, I, I quit. had like three jobs. I was 19. I was like a yeah. barista. I worked at a couple different coffee shops. You know, I, I worked in a video you, store. You video store paid nothing. But like I got to hang out at the video store and get yeah. free movies. <laughs> I also feel like you should get fired from things when you're 19. Yeah, like, it teaches like, you something. Yeah. If you're going to get fired from a job, as everyone should, that's a pretty good age and time to do it, I guess. Like, you know nothing and you should be told that you know nothing. You're, yeah. It sounds like you were fired for bad reasons. Yeah, but, you know, like being the altruistic, like Asian work ethic sort of person that I am, before I moved to California, I went back there just to, like, clear the air with the owner and say, hey, just so you know, like, I didn't do that. Good for you. Like, you know, fine, you fired me and I'm not going to argue with you. But, like, you know, whatever happened two months ago before I decided to move to San Francisco, like, hey, I really didn't do anything. Like, I didn't steal from you, just so you know. That's good. Good. What did he say? Fuck that guy. Oh, she. She. Yeah. Fuck that woman. <laughs> she, I mean, I don't think she really cared. She was just. <laughs> she was like, who? What? <laughs> right. Why are you here? No, I thought you got your I think she was like an job. absentee owner. And then she sort of came back on the scene like, whoa, my business is out of control. And, you know, because how much time can you spend if you own a video store, like in the video store, unless that's you're just like a film geek and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. Like at some point you hire a bunch of teenagers for minimum wage and you don't go there all the time. Yeah, I so, guess that's true. Well, know. if it's any consolation, that video store probably doesn't exist anymore. You know, I think it might. But yeah, it's 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 possible. Did you ever try and make your own films? Did you go to film school? Yeah, did... so I made one. I mean, I made a couple silly movies, but I made one movie that's actually on YouTube. Whoa. Um, Is this like a known fact? I don't know. In what like... circles? It depends. Not in food <laughs> circles, but in queer film circles, yes. Yeah, what's the film? It's called Junkbox Warrior. It was only five minutes, um, and it played at like all the film festivals, Um and it's still distributed by Frameline, which does the Lesbian Gay Film Festival in San Francisco. That's so cool. Um, and that's what brought you to San Francisco, right? Was working for Frameline? Uh, well, college. I mean, so Anne and I met and fell in love in Ann Arbor and we're like, let's move to San Francisco together. And everyone just assumed that we would break up in three had, months. Had you been to San Francisco before? You- yeah, I went. Uh, she had gone like growing up because she had an aunt who lived in uh, South Bay. Um, and I... Like when we met, like literally, I think it was like when I talked, like walked up to her in the club and was like, hey, um, <laughs> some cheesy line. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to San Francisco because I had planned this trip with a couple friends. So and then when I came back, I was like, oh, my God, I'm in love. This is amazing. With her or the city? Both. <laughs> Both. At the same time. Well, I went to San Francisco and I was like, this is amazing. Like I, my jaw was just like, you know, I mean, it's just so visually 
amazing, beautiful, um, and then so gay. And uh, and then I realized I missed her. Like we'd been only been dating for a few months, and I was gone for like a week and a half. And when I got back, I was like, oh my god, I really missed you. I love that. It's kind of cheesy, right? It's kind of corny. Twenty years later. Twenty years later, yeah. That's great. You didn't break up after all. No, that's so beautiful. I that's love sweet. that. Thank so you. Then, so then you're out in California. You're out in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and you're making. I went to college. So I went to New College, which no longer exists. Um. That must be an interesting <laughs> feeling. <laughs> it was accredited when I went there. <laughs> I, um, like the the survival of institutions is kind of a weird thing. New College is now Tacolicious, um, a place called the Chapel, which has like New Orleans cuisine and has like shows, um, and like a cool mission bike store, um, and something else like some knickknacks kind of place. Your college is now a Tacolicious. It's. I mean, in that whole. I mean, it's right. It was right in the mission. It's so it's just that whole street is like it used to be nothing. And a bunch of auto body shops and the Lexington around the corner. Um, I found a college with the lesbian bar right around the corner. <laughs> I mean, I went to and Smith, I lived like I three blocks this. away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you make the jump from the queer film world into being a cook? I started cooking for like our friends. So, like, I grew up eating, you know, pretty much from scratch dinner f- at least five nights a week. Um, and I went away and I never learned to cook growing up because I have two older sisters. So to me, it was just like housework and my mom was happy to have them, you know, they were the first ones to rope in. And so I was like, I'm going to fill the dishwasher and go play video games. Um, go watch, do the right thing. again. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, so basically I like left home and then Ann and I were like living in San Francisco and I started missing like. You know, not just I can't just live on burritos and pizza. Okay, really? maybe I could, <laughs> but you know. Anyway, I started cooking, and it came really naturally to me. Um, you know, we sort of like started getting like a group of friends that we hung out with all the time, and so we'd have dinner parties, and like we, nobody had any money, so we weren't going out for fancy meals. It was either going to like some divey place and getting a slice or something, or like cooking. Uh, together and so we'd started doing dinner parties and like I kind of call it like I call it the time when Ann and I were like little adults. We were like tiny little adults. We were like, oh, we're grown ups now. Let's have people <laughs> over to our house, right? And, and like get like fancy tableware and like like Ann would decorate the whole like thing with like place cards and I mean we were so obnoxious. We would write things like befitting dress required. Like <laughs> now we're like, eh, just come over. We'll have some beer and order some pizza. Oh, that and whatever. doesn't sound But when obnoxious. we were like twenty three, we were like, oh, I think we even once had a party where we gave them suggested wine to bring shut up <laughs> but like that's but that's a that's perfect right like that's how you learn how to grow up yeah like we were just like enamored with the whole thing like of dining and food and restaurants and like that we couldn't afford but we would like look at them and read about them and look through the window um and then eventually like save up to go to one and then just be like oh my god it's so expensive <laughs> i think one of the meals we had right before we moved to london uh was like 98 dollars, and we were both like whoa, I can't believe we just spent that much money on a meal. Wow. But we were, like, excited about it all. I mean, we would do all that stuff, so it was fun for us. Like, you know, then we kind of got known amongst our friends group for being, like, the ones that threw these, like, awesome dinner parties. Um, Like, we did a 99 to 2000 Y2K. Um, We did, like, a 10-course meal. Oh. Wow. Um, So it was, like, 10 courses to the millennium. Um, And we had... uh, We'd gotten all these bottles of sparkling wine in Sonoma, so there was, like, one for every guest. Wow. So each person got to, like, have their moment where they opened the bottle and, like, poured it for everybody. That's really Um, beautiful. But it was, like, ridiculous. It was, like, gay prom. Like, we had corsages and boutonnieres and stuff and and fondue. I want to go to this party, like, now. 
That sounds great. It was it was pretty hilarious. I mean, it was also like in our like one bedroom beige carpet, beige wall. Like, oh no, this is like this is making me very wistful for my youth. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> so you became known for these awesome dinner parties, and then what brought you to London? I mean, basically, I just kept cooking, and you know, Anne kept saying you should go to culinary school. Um, and then I finally listened when other people said it. Um, I'm really good at that. <laughs> so what was <laughs> not the, listening you know, to the people it, closest well, to you? I feel like that's like uh, every not everybody, but like it's it's a common story that like you hear about someone who's like, oh no, I just like I really liked cooking and I really liked throwing dinner parties mm-hmm. and I went to culinary school and then like it doesn't work right. and then for you it did right like they'll show up in culinary school or they'll they'll get into restaurant life and realize this is completely different. Did you drag your feet at all? Were you like I don't need to professionalize this or no? Like I needed to. Like that was the whole thing. Like there were people saying like, oh you're such a great chef. I'm like I'm not a chef, dude. Like I just cooked this food in our house for friends. Like even if you think it's delicious, like I'm not a chef. There's like these people and they have these skills and it's not what I'm doing here. Like you know I'm a good home cook. You know, and so for me, it was like, no, if I'm going to do this, like I need to get the proper skills. I need to know what I'm doing, um, you know, and I was, you know, luckily in a place where so Anne's job uh, gave her this opportunity to go to London. And so it was a kind of a perfect break for me from Frameline. So I was working at Frameline um, in my little like gay bubble, gay film bubble. Um, and so that was like the moment. So it's like, okay, what am I going to do in London? It was like, oh, you could maybe get a job at the BFI, but it'll probably just be an unpaid internship and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this is the perfect moment. I mean. And it worked out. Yeah. Did you take to cooking school? It's not called cooking school. Culinary school. Culinary right? school. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting. I learned how to drink. Great. <laughs> because I went to culinary school in London. So let's uh, put those yeah. two things together. <laughs> That's a recipe for alcohol poisoning. The, the, the town where people buy rounds. Is that a know? stereotype that culinary school is a big drinking sort of culture? I have no idea. I but feel like what, yeah. cooks drink a lot. But, right. Yeah. I mean, industry wise, it's, mm-hmm. you know, definitely a thing. And, um, you know, I mean, people expect you to be able to hang. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's just also just the British Irish culture as well. Um, but you know, I mean, and most of the people, so culinary school is interesting. Like you were saying, a lot of people say they like to cook and they go to culinary schools. There were definitely those people. Um, Cordon Bleu in London is not cheap. So there's definitely like, I mean, I met some people who were like so wealthy. I was just like, what in the hell? Like, why are you even doing this? Like, why aren't you just like on the beach somewhere Mm -hmm. (laughs) having your, somebody, you know, ship your bags for you and wait in line for you. Um, but I guess even some rich people want to do something with their lives. Good for them. They want to um, learn a trade, yeah. Yeah, you know, so then they can tell other people how to do it. <laughs> uh, right, for them, yeah. Right. Oh, my God. Um, no, I mean, when the cool thing about London uh, is that everyone is from somewhere else. So, like, it, the internationalness of the school, like, I found that when I came back um, and would work and, you know, meet people in San Francisco, it's like, oh, everybody's kind of from here. But when I went to culinary school, it was like people from Jamaica and Italy and Ireland and uh, Malaysia and India. And a lot of Americans and Japanese were the biggest. Um, but, you know, like everywhere. just And everyone was kind of became their nationality. You know, <laughs> like they were just, <laughs> which was the same in restaurants. Like when I started working in restaurants in London, it was like there's the Venezuelan guys and the Kiwi guys and the Japanese and, um, you know, the Colombians, Ecuadorians, the, the weird Indian girl from America with the shaved head. So who keeps talking about do the right thing. Right. (laughs) But you didn't immediately jump into cooking Indian food. Right. So this has like been a relatively recent element of your career. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think that also was like I, I always kind of knew eventually that I would cook Indian cuisine, but I wanted to learn like, you know, from the culinary school, you learn French cuisine and I wanted to learn everything about restaurants. I mean, I do love a lot of different foods. Like I had a chef, a uh, friend of mine in Oakland, uh, I saw him and he, he owns Italian restaurants. Um, and he was like, oh, I made a really great potato curry the other night. You would have been proud of me. Um, and I was like, hey, you know what? I make really good pasta. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I bet you do. Like, you know, I mean, we do these different things, but like, you know, I make a lot of different food at home. Um, so, I, I mean, I just wanted to learn and I wanted to work in, you know, you also you go to culinary school and people are like, assume that you have to work fine dining mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about. So like kind of finding, you know, and I didn't really want to work in an Indian place at first because I mean, in my sense, it's also like I wanted to cook the Indian food that I grew up with. Like I didn't necessarily need to learn to make naan and curry. What were some of the things that you grew up with that you would want to cook? So, like? I mean, to me, it's like the cuisine that we do in the restaurant is sort of, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's not a lot of heavy cream and butter in the sauces. A lot of that is very like North Indian Punjabi. Um, and what we do is like, I mean, like a lot of people come into the restaurant and they're like, when we first opened, when people didn't know what to expect um, and they, they get the chicken curry and they're expecting that like bowl with like, five boneless chunks of meat in this like pool of sauce and instead they get this bone in whole chicken leg with all these chunks of onions and tomatoes and stuff and they're like what the fuck is this why doesn't this look like my takeout right yeah Yeah. and they're like what is this um but like that's how we would eat at home we don't eat like butter laden cream sauces and boneless you know little chunks of meat like no um so to me it's like i really wanted to bring a different style of Indian cuisine to people, especially in the Bay Area. I mean, I know here in New York, um, definitely London, uh, there's a little bit more knowledge about regional cuisine um, because there's just a larger Indian population, but it's growing rapidly Mm -hmm. in the Bay Area. Um, So I wanted to be able to do something different. Like, you know, it's a subcontinent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like lot. some tiny little <laughs> <Yeah>. country. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different cuisines, you know. So I wanted to bring a lot of the stuff that I grew up eating. My family's from Gujarat. And, you know, I wouldn't say that our food is by any means Gujarati, but there's definitely a lot of that influence um, in terms of the flavor profiles. Um, and, I mean, it's just how my brain is wired when I think about certain things. So I might make something that skews a little bit more like South Indian, but... I was raised in a Gujarati household, so that is always going to kind of come out in the cuisine. Mm-hmm. Do you think you needed um, a certain amount of time to go by before you were ready to cook Indian food? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, it was learning the trade. And I think that when I finally started my pop-up, I reached this point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to do my own thing, just like any chef uh, sort of. You, you cook other people's food. Mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time and just learn the craft. Like you learn how to just chop onions and order produce and I'll figure out all those things, figure out how these dishes go together. Uh, you know, you study the classics. And for me, at the point where I left Google, it was like, okay, now I'm ready. And, you know, I'd also run huge businesses. So I'd run the cafeteria at Google, which is like 3,000 people a day. I'd run the cafe at the Young Museum, Legion of Honor, which was like, again, like 2,000 people, 800 people a day. Um, 
so I had the like business knowledge I felt as well to actually run a business and not just be like, okay, I can cook really well, but I don't actually know what else I'm doing. Did you like doing that stuff? The kind of like, I am running a, a kitchen for a big organization. You know, there were different times that I appreciated parts of it. Um, That's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> <laughs> it fucking sucked. No, no, no. You know, I'd say, uh, you know, I didn't enjoy Google. I kind of like, you know, there's a lot of politics there. Um, and I also had kind of worked my way back into an office. So um, at the De Young and the Legion of Honor, I was, you know, I started as a catering chef and then eventually took over running. My boss and I had a sort of semi-hostile takeover. Um, she must have been good at that job then. I, w- I like it. I mean, those are the parts I, l- I mean, I like, you know, it's fun when you're like, doing an 800 person party for Ernst and Young and you're got your clipboard and you're coordinating like three satellite kitchens and you got your headset and like you've like spent like a week or two, like figuring everything out with the ops manager and arguing with her. And like, you know, yeah, it's exciting. You got like this bank of hot boxes in your, and in my head, I'm like, you know, I was always trying to figure out what was the best way we could do it to keep it as a la minute as possible, even though you're making this much food for this many people. So, you know, I'm not like, I came at it from the perspective of like, we're not just going to like grill off all the lamb chops like two days before and throw them in the oven so that they're rubber. Like, how can we make sure that that's going to be the best lamb chop possible, even though we're making a thousand of them? So I think it was helpful to kind of get those skills. Um, and you know, yeah, it's fun. It's, it's exciting. So at Google, did you, did you have to cook a certain kind of food or was it like today is Mexican food day and then tomorrow is. So I ran Charlie's, um, and Charlie's is the largest cafeteria on campus. So it, um, has a Mediterranean like, uh, pizza. It has sushi. It has a deli. It has a salad bar. It has a, you know, grab and go. It has a bakery. Um, so I, th- I think, the, you know, I was only there for like a little under a year. I think the the biggest contribution I made was that as being a chef who is a slave to the farmer's market, I probably pimped that salad bar <laughs> better than most chefs wow. ever so they, did. So Google has like multiple restaurants, like cafeteria zones, and you worked at like the kind of American Mediterranean one? Uh, no, no. It was everything. There was even a, a pod in the middle that had Indian and Chinese just like full salad bar. It was like a, it was like, like the whole food. It was like the salad an bar awesome, section, but mega. like, yeah, like mall food court. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Like, I, I was guess... the chef of a, a really cool mall food court. Yeah. I like mean, the, maybe I'm... the coolest one. No, I mean, but I feel like Probably. that. Probably. <laughs> Gotta be. Like running that would equip you to like crush it at literally anything probably you know like the logistical insanity yeah but what's interesting is like I always say how I'm so shocked when people who've never been in this industry open a restaurant because I've run a seven million dollar budget like huge operation serving three thousand people a day and I am consistently challenged by my 45 seat restaurant (laughs) when you own it and you are responsible for everything yeah I mean I think they're are way more bad restaurants than good ones is the answer to like that amazement. Right? There are like, more restaurants than close than stay open. Yeah. Right. I mean, mediocre restaurants also do really well. They do. Right. They do. They really do. Especially in big cities where people have small apartments with tiny mm-hmm. kitchens. This mm-hmm. is this thing that I feel like nobody talks about when everybody's like, Oh, it's so hard. The dining scene's so hard. All these great, you know, restaurants are closing. It's like X, Y, Z mediocre restaurant stays open forever. Well, if you're a good business person, Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, you have to factor in both of those things. I mean, there's a certain people, there's certain restaurants where I'm like, God, I can't believe that place. And, but, and, but, you know, 
total credit to the owners for making it work. Like not every restaurant has to sell art. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They can just sell Cisco chicken fingers. We don't really sell art, I don't think. I mean, maybe some people think of it. As, I'd think of it more as like we sell just like good food. We sell like flavor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flavor with an A. Um, you posted an Instagram recently that I'm You're obsessed with. You're making me with. nervous. No, it's great. <laughs> it's it, um, So... And my segue into, I, like, I had a whole segue planned up, but, like, I'm just going to dive right in because yeah. you had this really awesome Instagram that you posted, um, a note from your new sous chef mm -hmm. saying, I know you said no dick pics <laughs> or no no dick jokes, right? Uh -huh. It was like, I know you said no dick jokes, so here's a balls joke. Uh -huh. And then it was eggplants, which is hilarious because eggplants are dicks right, now. Right. So it was actually a dick joke. But they weren't. They were balls. Did you see them? I did. They're, they're <laughs> ball-shaped eggplants, yeah. but eggplants are dicks. Right. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about that. I wanted to talk about the no dick jokes rule. There's no no dick jokes rule, okay. <laughs> first of all. Because <laughs> um, like all we do on the upsell is make dick jokes. We or somehow I, I end do. up talking about dicks in almost every episode. It's literally entirely and this my is, fault. And you worked it into this. <laughs> I, um, I am never the one Greg. that brings up the dicks. It's always me. <laughs> it's actually always me. You know, I, no. if you saw the comment that I wrote back was I said no stupid Dick jokes. Oh. And it was just funny because I had been, um, I can't remember where it was, some interview or something recently, and I had just said, oh, is this Queer in the Kitchen with Jari magazine? Um, and, you know, so in that we were, like, talking about, you know, the environment in kitchens and how it can be very macho and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I said this about how we don't make stupid dick jokes because, like, you have to be more nuanced. Yeah. Like, I'm not <laughs> mad at a dick joke if it's actually, like, smart. But like, you know, you, if you're just going to like pick up a large carrot and be like, <laughs> like, no, like we're going to shame you for that because that's just not very smart. You know, I'm going to look at you and be like, you can. Yeah. Do so you're not actually allowed to be funny yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just just put your head down and keep chopping and we'll all let you know when you're allowed to start being funny. Are there any like particular smart TikToks that come to mind that have happened in your kitchens? I'm just going to start asking this of all of our, all of our smart, guests. Smart dick jokes. Like, tell you us about your best dick jokes. What's the temperature smart on dick, dick joke? jokes in your kitchens? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that they, it, it's definitely that the dick jokes generally come from more of the women in the kitchen. So I think that that makes it a little more okay. You know, like I'm, one of my cooks was grabbing a large carrot and was making jokes about taking it home and making her boyfriend jealous. That's good. That's good. That's a good dick joke. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not like sexually harassing anyone else it's warm or making and, anyone else uh, feel uncomfortable. Her boyfriend, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But like, yeah. But you know, but he's not. In the room. No, he's not in the room. It advises. And I don't think he listens to, to this. Laugh with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's a know, good joke. But it's like and it's got layers. Yeah. And it's like makes makes you think. <laughs> There's a little bit of brain. You know, your brain has to. It just right. needs to be like beyond Beavis and Butthead. You know right, what I right. mean? Like it needs to be a little bit more nuanced than that. So what do you look for in a cook at your restaurant? Attitude. Attitude beyond experience. Positive attitude. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. One of my cooks right now is only 20 years old. And why Why were they the right fit? Just He's the sweetest kid. Um, just, you know, in no culinary school, graduated from Oakland Tech, which is in my neighborhood, like two years ago, um, rides a skateboard. His sister, who's 10 years older than him, started working for me. And she's amazing. Um, she's like one of my lead cooks. Um, and I'm, you know, looking for people, looking for people. She's like, well, I know somebody, but they don't really know anything, but he's teachable. I'm like, okay. He comes in. Um, he's kind of 
big guy. And uh, I'm like, oh, so how do you know Melissa? Because <laughs> she didn't say anything. And he's like, oh, she's my sister. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's kind of adorable as well because it's like yeah. family. Um, but he's just learning, you know? He's in there. He's learning everything. He's working hard. He's, you know, he's got a sister t- showing him the ropes. I mean, she'd worked at a number of restaurants before she came to ours, so she knows how to roll. Um, and he's just picking everything up. Like my, my new sous chef and him are like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. They're like in love with each other. It's like the funniest thing. They like talk about Pokemon all day. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm totally obsessed with Pokemon, by the way. Do you wait, but don't you think it's strange that the sort of poke craze has kind of hit like a fever pitch at the same time as it's the Pokemon co- It's a coincidence, yes. but it's a weird, I don't think that there's any, you what is it, correlation? Or? I am definitely like slowly cultivating a conspiracy theory about this. Like, I think it's, it's right. I, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying like, you know, this is more well, real on, to me than the Guy Fieri Paula Dean thing. That the, was just a cheap shot. Yeah. But this, but, yeah, this is real. Like, like there's three days after, Pokemon Go was released though. You caught you went to a poke restaurant as and, a stunt for Eater New York. I did. And I went sure enough found a, a, a like a really cool Pokemon. Am I gonna have to put poke on the menu? I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. What do you what do you as a chef what is, is you as a chef think about like, this is it a, is it a thing? Is it I mean I hate I actually hate it when people say it's a thing, but like is it a trend in the Bay Area, poke? It seems like it. It was a trend in the Bay Area before it was in New York, yeah. For sure. Yeah, I know in well, LA. I mean it's like it's always been, been there. But isn't I mean it, it's like the new tuna. Right, exactly. It's like can we just can we say that? Like, like I mean, it is, I mean, it's different. It's it's, it's different. different. It has it's a, a different cultural. I mean, you could legacy. also say it's similar to ceviche, right? Like, right. It's, you know, but it's but, not similar to ceviche not, because, because it's, it's not, not as a citru- Yeah, I mean, it's Hawaii's riff on tuna tartare, or is tuna tartare a riff on poke? I, I mean, that tuna are we tartar- actually getting closer to our artisanal like oh, heritage shit. and roots? I think you guys need a chicken and egg. This, yeah, oh. man, the, the truth is out there. I'm. I'm giving you guys assignments. <laughs> Done. We're on it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna as soon as I we turn it, off the I tape recorder. Time. <laughs> yeah. So how old is Juhu Beach Club now? It's like three and a half years old. Three and the, a half. The years restaurant, old. the brick and mortar restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, the pop up is like five years old. Wow. So with the pop up, did you get enough juice to start like talking to investors, or how did it go from pop no, up to brick and mortar? No, we have no investors. We have no investors. We are 100% owned, 50-50, me and my wife. You're indie. Yeah. You got, uh, got you guys got some good buzz from that pop-up, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was super fun. I mean, I was really like, I, I got nothing to lose. You know, I already looked kind of stupid on Top Chef, so who cares? <laughs> and, uh, I didn't you know, watch your season. I don't know. Don't bother. Okay. It was the Vegas season? Yeah. Vegas. Eh, fuck it. Meh, whatever. Um... <laughs> Was that kind of your attitude the whole time? Like, or were you like, this, this is going to be my, this could be my big break. You seem like a competitive person. I'm not really competitive in that. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm competitive with myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just not like cutthroat enough. I don't think, you know, I just, I didn't really prepare for it. Um, and I don't really understand what I was getting into. Yeah. Um, when you got a but you know, I like to say uh, to my friends how I w- I want to be known as the uh, Top Chef contestant that did the has the largest chasm between how poorly they did on the show and how well they've actually done in their own like professional career. Totally, you're the Jennifer um, Hudson. I'm the Jennifer Hudson. She didn't win American Idol, but she won a fucking Oscar. Exactly. 
exactly. Um, and I think like a year ago I was saying this because I say it like once in a while and one of my friends was like, Pretty, I think you're there. You are. Like, <laughs> like just quit saying it now. <laughs> um, right. Um, I didn't even realize you had been on Top Chef. See, look See? at that. There you go. So you did three, three <laughs> I mean, episodes? It, what, what year is we're in 2016? Yeah. It was seven freaking years ago, okay? <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, I guess I also sort of assume that everybody has been on Top Chef. Right. Like, I feel like if I meet someone, like if I meet a, a chef or a cook and, I'm, and they're like, oh, yeah, like, da, 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 I'm like, you were probably on Top Chef. Like, right. I, don't, I don't watch And I Top have Chef. a mohawk, so you put those two things together, chef and I have a mohawk. Probably. probably been on Top Chef at some point. So three and a half years into the restaurant, like what stage is it at? Are you at the place where you're like, okay, we've, we're at something that's relatively fixed? Or are you like constantly changing things Oh, it's up? constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like every day. How do you balance this sort of constant change with the like authenticity that underscores all of it? Well, it's authentically my food. So it's new dishes that I'm creating that's still authentically me. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, when we first opened, cause so the pop-up was really like simple. It was just like these sandwiches and a couple salads, house-made samosas and like a mango lassi. Um, and you know, when the restaurant, the first like six to nine months, my initial idea was that it was going to be kind of more of the pav shop. So that's our slider. Um, we have like five different kinds um, and some of them change from time to time. There's probably like eight to 10 altogether. Um, and uh, there's a couple, you know, so I, I kind of thought it was going to be that it was going to be like a little more casual pav shop um, and probably not changing that much. But after the first like six to nine months, uh, my wife and I closed the restaurant for two weeks and we went to India and, you know, did all this noodling, did some time in London as well. Um, and what we found is that there's so few chef driven Indian restaurants in the world, yeah, like, period, <laughs> mm -hmm. in the country and then in the Bay Area um, that what we were finding is the neighbors and customers who are coming in were really excited that there I was. Every single day, every single night, they could talk to me. We can chat. Like, this is what's happening here. Well, I um, mean, honestly, it's pretty rare that that, that yeah. you get that kind of, you yeah. know, as a, as, especially as a neighborhood, you know, if it's a neighborhood establishment, it's a place in your neighborhood and there is a chef that is associated with the restaurant. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so from there, we just realized that um, we needed to start, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, elevating the cuisine. Yeah. Um, and it's been amazing. Like, I never really thought that, you know, I mean, I think that I reached a point like, you know, like when I was kind of noodling on all of this was around the time the Mission Chinese was happening in San Francisco. And, you know, we used to go there all the time. And I was, you know, I really appreciated their whole thing about how they had no fine dining aspirations. And I was kind of like, yeah, fine dining's bullshit. And, you know, I just want to do this simple, flavorful, soulful food. Uh, I think that's still what we do today. But I definitely think that, you know, now we're constantly evolving. What we're doing today wouldn't have been possible two years ago, and I don't know where we'll be two years from now. Like, we just kind of keep organically growing in different ways, um, and the cuisine is kind of growing up. So your customers go along with you? They, they, they try the new stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're always excited about new stuff. I mean, there's definitely the customers who are, you know, and there's a certain amount of the menu that it's really challenging for us to change. Um, like, I don't think we can ever get rid of the Manchurian cauliflower. Um, Anthony Bourdain called, so it, <laughs> Bourdain called it my uh, stairway to heaven. <laughs> he was like, you're going to have to make this for the rest of your fucking life. <laughs> 
Like, yeah, probably. Letitia's um, having a huge moment. Like, your version of it mm-hmm. is really well known, and I feel like it's been popping up in it. There's a restaurant here in New York, um, Babuji. Uh-huh. That, uh, they call it Colonel. They call it General So's. I mean, but it's all Gobi Manchurian, and it's right. like coming out of that like Indo Chinese thing yeah. that I think had not previously been part of the American understanding of what Indian cuisine involved. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of annoy Greg, it's a thing. Indian Chinese is a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It's actually a thing. It's a thing. Um, no, but, you know, I mean, I think that for me it's like the other thing that's a thing is like the expression that we have at the restaurant at Juhu Beach Club is like what else is a thing is a group of kids who are of Indian origin that grew up in the United States and are now adults and have this unique perspective uh, of both of those cultures. And I think that that's what our what, whether it's like, you know, this like radish salad that probably if you saw that somewhere or ate it would never imagine that this is an Indian restaurant or something as like, you know, like our lamb biryani um, that's so clearly intensely Indian in its flavors um, that it's it's all a thing. It's it's what I find, you know, when customers who are, you know, around my age or um, which is almost 40. Um, <laughs> I know I look 17. <laughs> um, they're, they, they're like, wow, this is like, they, they get it on this deep level. You know, they look at the pictures on the walls, uh, and they're like, wow, that could be my family. That, um, that must be incredibly gratifying. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, do you have photos of your family on the walls? Yeah. And I specifically, I mean, I think there's one or two from India, but most of them are from, London and Trinidad and Uganda and the United States. And the reason I wanted to do that is because what I can't stand is these sort of exoticizing, fetishizing of, you know, that old Indian guy that with the BD in his hand. And uh, <laughs> this isn't about, I'm not trying to recreate something that I ate or experienced in India. It's about the journey. And that's why wow, I just got a crazy cramp in my leg. Because um, what you're saying is so true. So exciting. <laughs> so Talk about your like. family more. <laughs> There's like a lightning bolt through me. <laughs> um, so my dad uh, grew up in East Africa in Uganda. The c- food that we cook is Gujarati at home, but it also has a lot of influence from East Africa. So there's certain vegetables like cassava and things like that that I grew up eating that, like, my other Gujarati friends did not. Or, like, you know, my parents would speak Swahili um, a lot of times when they didn't want us to understand because we understood English and Gujarati, but we didn't know Swahili. <laughs> so, you know, so, so the little kids couldn't understand. Um, but, you know, there'd be certain words where I thought they were Gujarati. And then, I, you know, I'd say it to someone in, like, some friend of mine's house, and they'd be like, what? what are you saying? Like, and I'm like, it's, isn't that the common language that we both speak? That's not English. (laughs) And they're like, no, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so to me, it's like showing all of those photos. Like, you know, I have a picture of like my mom and my aunt in Piccadilly circus in their like saris and like little cardigans. And it's like the seventies. And to me, that is part of what makes me who I am. And that is what we're doing in the restaurant. It's like any chef cooking, any cuisine of their heritage and bringing all of the elements of their life and experience into that. To just like lean into the complexity yeah, and not let it be like calcified and frozen in amber by like what America presupposes it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, when people ask me what region of India, I say Oakland. (laughs) 
that. Have your parents been to your restaurant? Yes. How do they feel about being on the wall? They love it. Yeah. Yeah. They love it. I make them popular. I've been making them popular since Top Chef. <laughs> you're you're repping Oakland. You're repping your parents. Yeah. It's great. You know, it's cute. I mean, who, what parent wouldn't like that? It's true. I think I don't. My mom would probably kill me if I put her face on the wall in a restaurant. But she'd love it secretly. All yeah, she'd love it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, here's this kid. Like, I grew up like hating being Indian because like, I just want to be like everybody else. Like, why do we have to be weird and different and all this stuff? And now I own an Indian restaurant, <laughs> like a pretty popular one. So, yeah. like, you know, I think it's worked out. It's worked out for them. Wow. Well, well pretty. We've come to the part of the podcast we like to call the lightning round. Uh oh. It's terrifying. It's- is it? I, don't I think know. it's the best part. You of think podcast. it's terrifying? No, I think it's great. Uh, this Greg, is Greg's a scaredy pants. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, so this is a part of this the show where we just we ask you some questions and just the first thing that pops to your brain, just let us know what what that is. Okay, no dick jokes. Well, <laughs> I make no promises. Um, first question. Yes. You show up at the bar. It's mm-hmm. the best bar ever. Mm-hmm. Your drink is waiting. What mm-hmm. is it? Negroni. Yeah. Yeah. Classic Negroni. You're like a um, Negroni up. Okay. Um, Hendrix, unless there's something more interesting. All right. Okay, you are on a road trip by yourself. You're gunning down the, the highway and you're listening to some music and you're singing along to it. What is it? Drake. Drake. <laughs> I love this. Um, I got a tote bag yesterday. Uh-huh. It is neon pink and it has Drake's face on it and it says why we always got to fight at Cheesecake. Oh my God. That's amazing. It's really good. Oh, like, I don't, I'm so, I'm <laughs> like so square. Like Cheesecake Factory. Yeah, yeah. Is then, that like a lyric So, one so the these? implied narrative in this song is that his girlfriend is always picking fights when they go to the Cheesecake, cheesecake Factory, factory. Oh. which is a chain restaurant. Yeah, no, I know what the Cheesecake Factory is, okay? <laughs> I've I've waited there. I've gotten the buzzer and waited in the mall. <laughs> Wait, you waited there, like, you waited You waited tables there? No, no, like I waited to get into the Cheesecake in the Factory. In the line yeah. for the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, next question. Yes. Favorite chain restaurant? I guess In N Out Burger. Really? I mean, yeah, it's I'm classic. From California. I, how do you feel about the great In N Out versus Shake Shack debate? I mean, I don't feel like I know enough about it. I had the Shake Shack burger once. It was good. I mean, I don't really, you know. You are above this fight. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> Can't we all just get along? I think it is maybe time that yeah. You know, I mean, is it time to retire this? Uh, time to retire the, tr- the 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 feud, especially now that you can get um, Shake Shack and In and Out in some of the same cities. Well, it's also like you were saying, like being competitive, where it's like you know you're talking about Babuji and like to me, it's like why can't like there are millions of wood fired pizza restaurants in the United mm-hmm. States. Why can't like there be more than one interesting, innovative Indian restaurant right? This is <laughs> in not this like... continental United States. And like it could be awesome. It's not Indian Highlander. There can't only right. be one. Exactly. Like yeah. we can all just get along and be like, oh, wow, that's awesome what you're doing. Oh, what you're doing is awesome. Like, great. Let's all get beers. I love that. It's so beautiful. But this is my thing with the Shake Shack in and out feud. I'm, I'm making the lightning round about no. myself, guys. I'm sorry. Um, is that Shake Shack, when it opened was explicitly modeling its burger on and now it's mm. burger. I right? I, like it opened I, in New York. Everyone was like, what are these small burgers? Mm-hmm. They're really I, thin I heard, and I heard the stated influence as being some St. Louis thing. That is but... a giant pile of bullshit. Yeah, but here's very the deal. obviously was in out. Okay. okay. The phone is out. I follow two chains on Instagram. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, wait, do you mean you follow two different chain restaurants no, or I you follow two chains the two chains rapper. the rapper. Okay. Oh. I had to clarify. And, and yeah, I, I thought you were gonna say I follow two chains, Shake Shack and In and Out. 
I got both coasts covered. <laughs> okay, but you also followed two chains. I also followed two chains on Instagram, <laughs> and I had to screenshot this. Uh, oh, whoa! Because I just yeah. I need I need to oh, remember yeah. that from time to time. This is it, it's it's this like word art, and it's, yeah, we want to read it yeah, to sure, our listeners. Sure, this is a quote from Two Chains. As a trend center, your trend center as <laughs> <laughs> a trend center. That's a weird strip mall. <laughs> As a trendsetter, your work will be copied and used as inspiration. You have to be okay with that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, in and outs just got to be okay with that. Yeah, that's true. You Shake know? Shack copies it. They do it. They have a more complex patty, I think. But but that's know. why I feel like the the question, which is my fault for asking, and I like played right into the man mm-hmm. by doing this, is like the question of like Shake Shack versus in and out is bullshit because Shake Shack was created to dom- like it was built in a lab to be better than in and out. Right. So we shouldn't ask that question because then we're just giving in to these patriarchal dyads that I'm just saying. But speaking of questions, a lightning round question <laughs> is, yes. do you, are you, a, are you a TV binge watcher? And what was the last thing you binge watched on TV? Um, yes. And, uh, the United States shades of America, Cabal Bell. Oh yeah. That was really good. That was, I, that I have that in my queue. Yeah, it's good. What is that? I've never heard of this. It's a Kamau Bell show. Is it on CNN or yes. Comedy Central? The oh, place where I'm going to go to the phone yes. for back. Yeah, yeah Kamau yeah. Bell, who yeah. also is a great Twitter follow to like yes. call back to talking about Twitter earlier. Yes. He's a fantastic. Him and Hari Kondabalu are both in the Bay Area right now, and I'm really trying to convince them that they should go to Juhu Beach Club. Yeah, they should. Um, Guys, if you're even listening. Even though I'm in New York. And won't be there. This will air when you're back. I'll I'll make my sous chef, uh, you know, get a mohawk. Um, Next lightning round question. Yes. Have you ever had famous people come into your restaurant and do you have a good story about it? Other than Anthony Bourdain? He's famous. He counts. Yeah, so he counts. Yeah, but but you could also say Um, others. Yeah. Oh, Tracy Chapman came in recently. Oh, man. Shut up. Was she driving a... (laughs) (laughs) Say it. Say it. A fast car. (laughs) She was kind of late, so there were some jokes later about how she needs a faster car. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. You that knew was, she um, was coming? I knew she was coming because she was actually on a date with a friend of a friend. Um, um, I used to play fast car on acoustic guitar when I was a teenager. This is what's amazing, though. All of the 20-somethings in my restaurant have no idea who she is. Oh, well. What is wrong with them? Their loss. Yes. She, fast car my, was extremely One of my cooks important. is like 30-something queer woman. Like I told, I was like, you guys, uh, Tracy Chapman's coming in tonight and you're working the daytime. And she threw a towel across the room at me. She was so mad um, that she, she wasn't going to be Give there. Give me one reason to stay here. Craig, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're well You're on fire. Well versed in the Tracy Chapman Oprah. It's a little but secret. It, uh, but it was kind of amazing that there was this perfect like break. It was like everyone over like 30 was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like she's like a legend. They're freaking out. Like, and then everyone under 30 was just like, who is that? I, I have no idea who that is. I think it's because VH1 stopped mattering. Mm. She was like, she was the embodiment of VH1 mm. in, a, in a certain way for me. All right. So the final lightning round question is, if you were not a chef, if you were not a former film student and independent film person, mm-hmm. what would you do? I've really always been interested in the weather. 
You'd be a meteorologist. <laughs> You'd be a thunderstorm. I, like, I could be like the first like cross dressing meteorologist. Yeah. Like I wear like snappy suits and well, everyone bow ties cares about the and, weather, right? And I everybody mean, cares about what the meteorologist wears. I right? Would, I would watch the shit out of that. That's amazing. It would be really fun. That could be a cool second career. Like I don't not like the people who actually like know all the science, but just like the cute fun person who like you know interviews people at the county fair and then tells you like what the highs and lows are. Yeah, and you like go out and like stand in the hurricane. Yeah, and like try to hold your hat on your head. Yeah. I love it. But it'd be like a really dapper fedora, you know, pocket squares, lots of pocket squares. You'd be the natty weatherman. Uh It would be so good. I'm super into that. I mean, I I hope you stay a chef forever and ever, but I also kind of hope this happens now. Me too. Well, on that note, Preeti, thanks so much for stopping by the show and hanging out with us. Super awesome to have you here. Where can our listeners find you? Juhu Beach Club in Oakland, California, in Temescal. Right. Is there a Twitter handle for the restaurant? Let's see. Or for yeah, you. there's uh, at Juhu Beach Club and there's at Chef P Mystery. There you go. Cool. Well, thank you for dropping by. Thank you. Super awesome talking to you. Theater Upsell is recorded in Vox Media's studios in beautiful Midtown Manhattan and also sometimes in our satellite studio in sunny Los Angeles, California. Our producers are Patrick Bulger and Maureen Giannone. Our studio team is Alex Ulreich and Miles Ewell. Our associate producer is Kendra Vaculin. Our associate producer and editor extraordinaire is Daniel Janine. And your hosts are me, Helen Rosner, and that guy over there, Greg Morbido. But the most important person in the creation of this entire thing is you. Thank you, beautiful listener, for being exactly who you are.